Good to see everybody. It is an exciting day. I actually think I just found out from Facebook. Eric, is it your birthday? Yeah. Yay! So, oh. I'm yeah. 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 We'll get him. We'll get him later. Yeah. Yeah. That was my dad. <laughs> it's also exciting because we got an extra hour of sleep. So happy ending to daylight savings time. Can you guys know? No excuses if you fall asleep in the sermons. So, um, also, it's um, exciting for me just to be back. I, I was just reflecting this week on how in two weeks I'll go back home to North Carolina for Thanksgiving. And there's always that feeling you have to go back and see family, uh, to reconnect with, with the people, but also the experiences you have. And um, this week as I was thinking about coming out here to Light Shine, I was really thinking the same kind of, those feelings were the same about just coming here. I think um, this time, there's more distance between the last time and this one, uh, so I was just really thankful to get back and see everybody. So, also, we are in this uh, series about uh, Exodus, and it's going through the uh, liturgical calendar. So, if you're not familiar with that, it's kind of there are churches all over the world that follow these particular prescribed scripture readings uh, in their sermons each week. And so when I was looking at the list of sermon potential topics, as Rob sends that out periodically, and this time I was thinking, you know, I'm really busy, you know, it's, it's summer and fall, I have so much going on. But then I saw this one with a theme of crossing over the Jordan River and entering into the promised land. And, and I had actually done a sermon that was like almost the same before, so I thought I could repurpose something. <laughs> this, this looked like a really good topic also, so... So we're going to do two of the readings. Often the readings there will be a, an Old Testament, a New Testament, maybe a Psalm reading. So we're going to do two different ones. And I'm not, we're not going to have it up on the screen. So I invite you to maybe close your eyes, to uh, take a deep breath, and to really hear the words of, of God as I read them. Uh, and to really maybe meditate on the meaning and how rich and powerful these words really are. So we're going to start with... Joshua 1, uh, 1 to 9, this is right before Israel is going to enter into the promised land across the Jordan. So it says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. 
May God bless to us this reading from God's Word. So of course to understand this first scripture, and you have to kind of jump in a time capsule and go back to the time when this was written, but maybe even another 50, 60 years prior to this, when the Hebrew people were enslaved under Pharaoh in Egypt. And if you could try to just imagine with me what that must have been like, that they would wake up every day to go out and work in terrible conditions in the heat of the day with very little food and water. The Pharaoh had claimed to be deity, and he said that he was to be worshipped as God. So they weren't able to worship the one true God in the way they really wanted to. Um, Also, the Pharaoh was afraid that the number of Israel people would grow to outnumber the Egyptians, and so he had committed to slaughter every male-born child. So the rug on which their ancestry stood had been pulled right out from under them. So as we approach that scripture, you have to understand and it not be lost on us that they were surrounded kind of at every angle with, with some kind of difficult circumstance. And so we'll use that word circumstance all throughout everything we'll talk about this morning because it really brings this idea of kind of being surrounded. And wherever you turn, you, you face something. And so as we approach our gospel reading, that's going to be in John 10. And it's the story of Jesus standing up in the temple. And for the first time publicly, he says, I and the Father are one. And we'll see a lot of different ways that he is surrounded by difficult circumstances as well. So I invite you in the same way to listen as I read uh, these verses. At the time, it was the Feast of Dedication taking place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade or the porch or portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe me because you are not a part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. I'm going to skip a few verses. Then later again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away, across the Jordan, to a place where John had been baptizing at first, and he remained there. This is the word of the Lord. Peace be to God. So as we approach this one, we're going to see that there are several ways in this passage, as we set up the setting and context, that they were surrounded by difficult circumstances. So first it says that it was the festival of dedication. So you have to know that at the very outset of the story, they are remembering that around 160 years or so prior to this being written, uh, King Cyrus had come along, and he had, he was this Greco-Syrian king who didn't believe in the true God, and he was actually a worshiper of Zeus, and so he set up an altar to the god Zeus, right on top of the altar to the one true God, in the Jewish temple. And finally, they revolted against him, 
they went in, they cleared out all the desecration, they cleaned it all up, and they rededicated the temple. So Jesus is there preparing to speak to all these people. They're remembering a time where they, as a, as a people, were surrounded by a difficult circumstance. And then it's of note that they're standing on what it says is the porch or the portico or colonnade of Solomon, a section of the temple named after uh, Solomon. So Solomon, in my mind, represents a time in Israel's history that was a pivotal moment because David was the king, and it was the heyday, the best day uh, that there ever was for Israel. Then Solomon came along, and after Solomon, they would be split between two nations, ten tribes in the north, Israel, two tribes in the south called Judah, and they'd be on their way uh, heading toward Babylonian exile. Um, and then you have Jesus standing up to speak to a lot of Jewish people, and you can hear what the responses are uh, that they're saying. And you can hear how they even are surrounded by a difficult circumstance. They say, Jesus, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. In other words, they're, they're, they meant to say, when are we going to draw our swords? When are we going to stand up and fight against um, the Romans? You see, Caesar, he had hiked up taxes so high they could barely afford to live. And he even, at one point, had declared, because of this new king of the Jews that was coming, that, that every male-born Jewish child would be killed. Of course, there are several uh, decades after that now, but there is something of note because of that parallel that's made there. So they are living in a place where they, as Jews, are feeling the pressure of another type of circumstance they're facing. And then Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And they take up stones to kill him. They literally surround him. When I was um, in college, I had a 1994 uh, red Nissan Sentra. And so some of you may have seen pictures of this uh, before. But it was like, I thought the coolest car ever, but looking back now, I realize it actually wasn't that cool. Um, so it had 17-inch white wheels, white rims, and then it had two 12-inch subs in the back with a 12-inch, 12-inch, uh, or 1,200-watt amp. So you could hear me coming from a mile away. And the problem, though, is it had upwards of something like 250,000 miles on it. So there were always these times where it was breaking down. Something was always going wrong. It would overheat. It would be leaking oil. Uh, there would be all kinds of problems. And I'd find myself off on the side of the road. And so being from the South, I'm from North Carolina, there's this mentality of, of manliness, maybe, or of, of do-it-yourselfness that uh, was instilled in me growing up. So I thought, well, I should at least you know, pop the hood and kind of take a look and see what I can do, right? So I, I pop the hood, sort of like strut around to the front of the car, and take like 15 minutes to find the latch, you know? And so I take a look inside, and, and I see I have the dipstick right here, so I know, I know that one, because you like check oil with that one. And I see like there's the place where you put the fluid for the, the uh, windshield wipers, so I'm on track, I guess. It's kind of warm, uh, <laughs> this my diagnosis. And that's really like <laughs> the extent of my knowledge of what I was looking at. So I pretty quickly you know, take the hood, close it back down, pick up the phone, and call a family, friend, mechanic, whatever the case might be, so someone could come and help me 
diagnose what the issue actually was. So what I'm going to suggest is that, as we're all here this morning, uh, maybe it is that we're not all that different from Israel under Pharaoh in Egypt, or Jesus or the Jews that day who were surrounded, um, but that we often are surrounded by difficult circumstances. And we could take a little bit of time this morning, I think, to just think about the place you are in life right now and what those circumstances might be. Uh, but often it's really difficult for us to identify for ourselves what those circumstances actually are in our own uh, limited knowledge. And so my hope as we get started and as we begin this morning is that we'll be able to kind of close the hood and pick up the phone and say, God, uh, we need you. We need you to help us to understand uh, all the different things that we can be surrounded by. Um, maybe it's a financial difficulty, something with family or friends. Uh, maybe it is, as I look at every week, almost every week, the needs and prayers email that goes out, see the list of things that we as a Lightshine community are facing uh, circumstances altogether of illness and of those who are looking for jobs. And there's, there are so many things. So as we begin, my hope is just that we'll be able to stop and think about what our circumstances really are. So there's a little boy who um, came home from Sunday school one Sunday, and he went into his room and he set up something like this with a paintbrush. He was going to paint on his easel, and he was kind of staring at it with a blank canvas for a bit of time. And his dad poked his head in the room and he said, hey, what are you doing? The little boy said, well, I just got home from Sunday school and we were learning about the Exodus and about them crossing over the Jordan River and being delivered. And the teacher told us when we get home to paint a picture of what it looks like to be set free, to be delivered. And the dad said, well, how do you know what that looks like? The little boy looked kind of perplexed and so he held up the paintbrush, and he said, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but could you paint that picture for me? So I wonder what it would be like if we were to take a paintbrush and go up to any of those ancient Israelites who were enslaved under Pharaoh in Egypt, and were to say, here, here's a paintbrush, we want you to paint a picture of what it looks like for you to be set free. I imagine they might paint some bread or water or shade, as if to say, we only want better conditions, if things could just be a little bit better. Or they might take a picture of Pharaoh and put an X across his face, as if to say, uh, we no longer want to be enslaved, and we want to have a sense of national identity. But of the many people that you would hand that paintbrush to and have them do that, I doubt, I know, that not any of them would paint a picture of ten plagues and 40 years in the wilderness before they would finally cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Because the way God had painted that picture of setting them free was far different, but far greater than anything they could have ever imagined for themselves. And now if we did the same thing, if we took the paintbrush and we went to the first century, to those Jews who surrounded Jesus that day, and if we said, here, we, we want you to paint a picture of what it would look like for you to be set free. I imagine that they might paint a picture of this 
God-like figure coming out of the clouds with a sword drawn on a big white horse backed by all the armies of heaven with the trumpet of God and the shout of the archangel coming to stamp out the empirical powers of Rome. But really, Jesus came to a world that would offer him nothing but a cattle shed in which to be born and a cross on which to die. He would grow up as a peasant carpenter's son. I mean, he never spoke of anything like that about Rome. All he would say is things like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And Jesus never rode in on a big white horse. But when he finally came down from that Jordan River down into Jerusalem, he rode in on the colt of a donkey. And eventually, he'd be in that upper room and he'd be betrayed, and he'd be accused. Uh, some of his best friends would leave him and deny him. Uh, he would go before uh, Pilate, and they would pluck out his beard, they'd punch him in the face, they'd beat him beyond recognition, force him to carry a cross up a steep hill, nail him to it, and cause him to hang there to die. Uh, not exactly the picture of the Messiah or the Christ or the Deliverer that they may have had in mind. But the way Jesus painted that picture uh, was the picture of a cross. Far different, but far greater than any of us could have ever imagined uh, for ourselves. And so, what I want to think about is that we've been able to understand that we all have these circumstances that we're surrounded with. And we often start to paint a picture of our immediate circumstances of what it would look like for us to be set free or be delivered from those. And we have a picture of what that looks like in our own minds. Uh, it, we say a lot of, if only. You know, if only my boss did this. Or if only I had more money. Or if only the person I'm arguing with would just stop arguing back and then apologize to me, that might be the case. Or in the bigger picture of our full existence, uh, we paint a picture of what it looks like to be set free, delivered, to live the good life. Um, but often, the way God uh, paints that picture is far different, but far greater than we could have ever imagined. I need to grab my cell phone because i got to look up some tweets. All right. So... <laughs> Yes, very theological. So, um, it is today the end of daylight saving time. And one of the coolest things is every year, there are people who cheat about daylight savings. And they, uh, it's usually funnier in spring, you know, because it's, it's these jokes about how tired they are because they lost an extra hour of sleep. So I wanted to pull a few up and read some of the ones I thought were the funniest. Does that sound good? All right. So, one person said, uh, why can't spring daylight savings happen at like 4 p.m. on a Friday? <laughs> Another one was last year in November, around the same time as the heated presidential debate, uh, presidential elections and everything, and they said, uh, can't we just set our clocks ahead four years? <laughs> Someone said, having kids basically feels like waking up on the first morning of daylight saving time every day for 18 years. <laughs> and then, um, this past spring, 
They said, uh, can we repeal and replace daylight savings time? Pretty good little political joke for the morning. Um, another said, uh, and this is of the, the time going backwards, uh, forgot it's daylight savings and was really confused how I spent an hour making this waffle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty good. <laughs> so one of the things that I like about that last one is this idea of forgetting and remembering. And that really plays into well the story of the, the Egyptian people, or the Israel people under Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, when God had set them free, and they had finally left that, and they got this place where they're going to cross over the Jordan River, uh, God instituted for them a few sacraments and things that they were to remember. And one of them was the Passover meal that they would have every year. And when God set that up and said, this is what we want you to remember, uh, here's what God didn't say. He didn't say, every year when you have the Passover of Moses, I want you to remember that you killed somebody, and remember the sin that you have. Or to Aaron, he didn't say, you built up uh, a golden calf that all of the nation would worship a false god instead of me. Um, because really what I think God wanted was for them to remember that he had removed the dead of their sin, but wanted them to remember being delivered from their circumstances. To remember the fact that they were delivered, and also to remember what they were delivered from. And so on that night, um, before Jesus died, on that Thursday night in the upper room, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he poured out the wine into a cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, this is what Jesus didn't say. Uh, he didn't say, Matthew, remember that you were a tax collector and you cheated a lot of people. And Peter, that you denied me and chopped the guy's ear off. Um, or Thomas, that you would, would doubt me. Or Judas, that you would betray me. Um, because he wanted them not so much to remember the sin, but to remember that they were delivered. And for us all, as we have that communion meal, to remember not just that we have been set free, um, but what exactly it is that we've been set free from. So it is that this morning we think a little bit about what our kind of circumstances are that are surrounding us. And I hope that you've been able to, to think about that and, um, a little bit this morning. Um, we also know that we paint a picture of what it looks like for us to be set free. Um, but the way God paints that picture often is far different, but far better than anything we could imagine for ourselves. We're called to know that God has removed the debt of sin, but that we're reminded that we're delivered and reminded what we're delivered from. So may we, today and every day, be able to be just like that little boy and hold up the paintbrush and say, God, I don't know what it looks like to be set free, but won't you paint that picture for me? And may we be able to go across the Jordan, live in that place of promise, and may we stay there forever. Amen.